BYU continues to add depth pieces at minimum, possible starters as well, via the transfer portal. We'll talk about the latest addition in Ian Fitzgerald. It's also a national championship Monday. What can TCU's build teach BYU as they try to get ready for the Big 12? And obviously, we'll catch up on the weekend that was in BYU basketball and beyond. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for joining us right here on your only daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars and for making us your first listen of the day. We're very proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The motto is your team every day, and we are your one-stop shop daily for all the BYU news and opinion that you guys can find anywhere. So thank you for joining us on today's program. I want to remind you guys our title sponsor is our friends over at LinkedIn on today's podcast, LinkedIn Jobs is helping find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. Uh, BYU continues to do work in the transfer portal. Some big news coming out. The BYU's added grad transfer offensive tackle Ian Fitzgerald by way of Missouri State. He's a native of Lake Zurich. Uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly. I assume it I am. Lake Zurich, Illinois. Illinois uh, went to Missouri State and played 29, excuse me, not played 29 times, started 29 games, especially over the past two seasons for Missouri State, uh, playing for Bobby Petrino and the Bears out there. And I think this is an intriguing pickup because BYU's offensive line is very much in a rebuild mode. It's been a the kind of a pillar of consistency, having a number of guys who started three, maybe four years in a row in certain circumstances, and just been a, an absolute stalwart for BYU's offense. It's undergoing a little bit of a transformation now. Because you had two returning starters on the offensive line. Connor Pay set to reprise his role as BYU's starting center. And then obviously, uh, Kingsley Suomatia, what he did last year, pretty much indicates that I think he's making the transition now from right tackle to left tackle, assuming that Blake Freeland doesn't stun all of us and decide to return for another season at BYU. But everything I've, I'm hearing slash understand is that Blake Freeland is moving on. So Kingsley should be moving to the left tackle spot. That leaves the right tackle spot open. And that is where a guy like Ian Fitzgerald probably fits to compete right away. He comes to BYU once again from Missouri State where he started at right tackle for the Bears. And I know there are a number of you saying, oh, okay, if he's a start, starting right tackle at the FCS level, he probably comes to BYU and he probably ends up playing guard. That could be the case. And he's he's six foot five. I think uh, some uh, rosters listed him at six foot six. He's 300 pounds. So he's got a pretty good size for a right tackle. And, uh, and the thing about it is you watch his film, he's a pretty good athlete. Uh, that's the thing about this. This is, not, this is not a guy playing at the FCS level who's a stiff and just happens to be tall enough that his coaching staff figured, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put him out on the edge and use his length to our, our advantage. Does BYU have plenty of length on the roster offensive line-wise? Yeah, they do. Because you have guys, guys like Lisala Ty and Braden Kime. Ty listed at 6'8". Braden Kime listed at 6'9". Somebody told me he's actually closer to 6'10 as an offensive tackle. So you have plenty of length out there. But the one thing about it, Ian Fitzgerald, is he's 
he's got proven production at a pretty high level. He comes uh, by way of playing for Bobby Petrino, and if any of you know what Bobby Petrino is all about, he's all about offense. This offense from Missouri State this past year averaged north of 430 yards on average uh, for the Bears, so he's played in a high-tempo offense, understands what it takes to play in an offense that's absolutely going to be running and gunning up and down the football field, so I think this is a pretty solid pickup for BYU's offensive line. Now, you're probably wondering, okay, did they have him visit? Yes, they did. This past weekend, uh, some of you may have known, some of you may have not, but the NCAA uh, recruiting calendar actually opened up this past weekend for mid-year transfers to visit campuses. High school players were not allowed to do it. You had to be a guy transferring from a university, whether it was junior college ranks, or if you were transferring from a four-year institution to another institution, then you could visit these schools. Ian Fitzgerald was on campus this past weekend alongside Eddie Heckard, uh, the FCS All-American cornerback from Weber State. Uh, I continue to hear that it's only a matter of time that Eddie Heckard ultimately decides to attend BYU unless he decides to go to the NFL draft. Him taking a visit to BYU this past weekend, I'm taking it as a very positive side that Eddie Heckard's probably going to be joining uh, the BYU football program, but we still have to wait on that one. That could come literally at any minute. I'm recording this podcast podcast and heck I could finish recording and all of a sudden Eddie Heckard puts out a graphic saying hey I'm committed I'm I'm home and that that very well could be the case but keep an eye on that but the good news is Another one of the visitors, Ian Fitzgerald, who came to campus, was a guy that BYU very much uh, was prioritizing. He received an offer from the Cougars on December 22nd after entering the transfer portal from Missouri State, and BYU finally got him on campus, and he decided this is where he wants to be. Uh, Like I said, I I think this is a pretty solid pickup for an offensive line that is in transition. At the very worst, it feels like at the very worst, uh, Fitzgerald is going to be a backup, and a very quality backup for BYU. I I think that the biggest thing for him him is he's going to come in and compete right away. He's got one year of eligibility, and guys who have that little time left in their collegiate uh, career, I guess I should say, yeah, not calendar, but their career, they obviously want to play, and they want to prove themselves at a high level. In this case, Fitzgerald's making the jump from a pretty decent FCS program with a pretty good rep under Bobby Petrino, and decided, you know what, I want to bet on myself, and I want to go play at the Power 5 level. That's where I think BYU is trying to build quality depth. Is a guy like Ian Fitzgerald, he can come in, and if he does start for the one year he's got in the BYU football program, that allows other guys behind him to develop and hopefully uh, continue to build quality depth for the BYU football program. And that's where one thing that's going to be a key differentiator for BYU when it comes to competing at the Power 5 level is being able to have their twos and their threes compete with these programs they'll be uh, competing with week in and week out in the Big 12 and beyond. That's the one thing I I look at what TCU has done and TCU is playing Georgia tonight for the national championship and has it been a bit of a Cinderella run for TCU? Absolutely. They have scraped by in a number of games, but they're playing for a national title tonight after going 5-7 and seven a year ago. And I'm not saying that TCU is the model BYU should replicate. They're not, BYU's not going to go into the Big 12 next year and p- compete for a national title right away. But what BYU should learn from TCU's example is that TCU has built this program and put together quality depth behind their ones. BYU's issue has never been their ability to have their top flight guys. The, the ones versus ones, BYU, by and large, I, I would say that 
80, 85% of the FBS programs out there, especially even a, a majority of them at the Power 5 level, BYU's ones can compete with those programs if you're just going starters versus starters. It's when guys get tired and or injured that you have to dip down into your depth. The twos and the threes, that is where BYU has fallen short as a pseudo Power 5 member. And I think that Kalani Satake has done a very good job trying to build that up. But now that BYU officially has that Power 5 label attached to their name, it's going to be able to help them hopefully recruit at a higher level and also build that depth. So, yes, uh, TCU is an example, and it's fun to have uh, BYU going into a conference that is uh, put in one of the national championship uh, teams into that game. But it means that the quality of competition BYU is going up against, it's only going to be heightened. So you have to obviously get yourself ready for this. Uh, like I said, this is not a one-year thing for BYU. I'm not expecting Ian Fitzgerald to come to BYU and have expectations and to go out there and go 12 and one that if that's what he's expecting I would have told him maybe you want to look at a different program but what BYU I think is capable of doing is the guy like Ian Fitzgerald Eddie Heckard you also brought in Waylon Lapuaho already Aiden Robbins Keaton Slovis all the transfer portal guys coming to BYU the message to them should be we need you guys to come in and help us be competitive right away and help us essentially tread water I, I've said it once, I'll say it again. A 6-6 six and six record next year for BYU, I think it would be a massive accomplishment in BYU's first year of the Big 12 uh, era. I, I, the, making a bowl game, I think, would be absolutely marvelous. And then you build from there. That's the thing about this, is that BYU can go into the Big 12 and show that they are not an, a pushover. They're not going to be the bottom feeder that some probably assume they might be going into that conference. That is going to help them as they try and recruit. So I, I like the Ian Fitzgerald addition. I happened to look up his film uh, in Elders Quorum. Don't don't sue me, Elders Quorum president out there. But I pulled it up and was watching a little bit of it. I think he's got some pretty good athleticism, and I think he can come in and contribute for BYU. Do I think that he ultimately plays right tackle for BYU? I've got uh, some concerns with that. But even if he is playing guard for the Cougars, he's played football at a high level. Even albeit at the FCS at the FCS level, he can come to BYU and contribute and help build BYU into a far more competitive team than some might have assume they were going to be as they start this Big 12 era. So Transfer Portal at BYU still continues to do work, my friends, and that, that should be exciting to you because, I'm like I said, I'm still hearing very good things about Eddie Heckard and his chances of coming to BYU, and I know the Cougars are going to continue to look at what other options are out there in the Transfer Portal to try and remake this roster, but school starting today, uh, I'm hoping to get more of a feel for, okay, who's actually in the program on the roster, that type of stuff, over the next weeks or week or so, and hopefully we'll be able to pass that along to you guys, but the, the the overreaction early on to the transfer portal and BYU's quote-unquote inaction in terms of adding multiple guys it felt like in the first week of the portal, I think that it was a little overblown. BYU's been very meticulous about finding the right fits for their program. Will all of them hit? Probably not because it's still a gamble. It's like recruiting, but I think BYU has been very strategic about guys they're adding to the roster via the transfer portal while also uh, weighing, okay, we have guys coming in from high school, guys coming home off of missions. You have three different pots essentially to balance your roster from for BYU, and you've got to be able to like I said, balance all three of those. The transfer portal deal, I think they've done a fairly decent job, I think. The list of guys that BYU's added so far, I'm quite excited for, and I think they can help BYU be fairly competitive in year one of the Big 12. So my expectations still, I think 6-6 six and six is an accomplishment for BYU in year one of the Big 12. Anything beyond that, they go to 7-5, and 8-4, and four, that'd be phenomenal. But I... 
the way BYU is doing things, they can look at the roadmap that TCU took in building themselves up over the last decade plus in the Big 12 and hopefully take some lessons from that. Did TCU, like I said, capture lightning in a bottle this year to make the run to the national title with a first-year coach? Absolutely. But it wasn't done just overnight. That was a slow climb from the G5 when BYU and TCU used to be members of the Mountain West Conference together. They got the invite to the Big 12. Was it 12 or it might have been 13 years ago now? But regardless... It's been a climb since then for TCU to build up the depth that has been exploited this year to make that run to the national title. Have things been supplemented with transfer portal, that type of stuff? Absolutely. That's what Sonny Dykes did. But it was not all of a sudden they came in, turned it over with 50 new guys, and all of a sudden made a run to the national title. There were a lot of guys already grinding away in that Horn Frog program that I think BYU should look to as a, a, a blueprint for them as they come into this Big 12 conference and a new era of football for themselves. All right, coming up here in just a minute, we'll talk a little bit about BYU basketball. I've got another analogy from the Big 12 and preparing for membership in that conference that I think BYU basketball should heed as they get ready uh, to compete at that level as they finish out their West Coast Conference run here as well. We'll get to all that here in just a moment. First though, let's talk about our friends over at LinkedIn. Of course, as a small business or hiring a small business owner or a hiring manager, you know that success this year in 2023 will all depend on the team members that you surround yourself with. And that's why you need to use LinkedIn jobs. With LinkedIn jobs, you can find qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals, both as an owner, and like I said, as a hiring manager as well. The best part is they help you find uh, qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond the resume data by using insights from your job post company and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. The best part is you can identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn jobs and then connect with them fast and for free. You kind of just wade through it, make sure it's all done. It's a, it's a turnkey operation. That's the best part about this. It makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all in one platform. You're not having to use multiple things to get the job done. And is of course, why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs is helping you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you once again for checking out Locked On Cougars. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. It's got everything you need to know about the college basketball realm in one place. You hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. That's Locked On Basketball, available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, talking about college basketball for a moment here. BYU men's basketball had an up and down weekend over this past weekend. They went to LMU on Thursday night, a late night down there at Gersten Pavilion. And uh, I'm not going to lie, the, 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 just the facility was dead. Like you think, okay, LMU's a pretty good team. They were eleven and five coming into this. Nope. BYU fans seem like they outnumbered uh, LMU fans at that game. Has kind of been the the story with BYU in the West Coast Conference. But BYU, man, what a brutal night uh, for the Cougars as they fall sixty four to fifty nine. And in the final three and a half minutes, neither of these teams felt like they wanted to win this game. They just essentially were trying to one up each other and finding ways to give it away. Turnovers, sloppy passes, bad shot selection. Uh, bad offensive sets. It just it was it was ugly basketball, and it's, it's one of those games that I. I, I... 
I don't mean to come off as harsh, but I struggle with college basketball mightily watching it because the NBA to me is a far more entertaining product. And I'm not saying that the college basketball realm or the, the game itself needs to resemble the NBA because the NBA has its own issues. Let's be real. The star power, et cetera, uh, the, that type of stuff. The, the NBA it has its own issues. But the college basketball scene with regards to all the fouls, bad turnovers, offensive sets, horrendous shot selection, all of that was on display in that game against Loyola Marymount. And BYU just couldn't shoot themselves out of pa- out of a paper bag, uh, just clanking threes left and right in this one. I'm actually looking at it right now. Yeah, 15.4% from three-point range. It has been the story of BYU's uh, season is just the inability on certain nights to get the basket into the hoop. Get the basket into the hoop? What was that analogy? To get the ball into the hoop more efficiently. They shot 41.3% overall, but their inability to open up the floor and allow a guy like Fuseni Traore to compete on the inside with the inability to shoot the three ball consistently, it absolutely cripples BYU. Uh, I know that the free free throw disparity in this game was also pretty... uh, large. 23 free throws versus 9 uh, in favor of LMU in this one. BYU's turnover issues actually weren't as glaring in this game, just 13 in this game. They actually were outdone by LMU, but when you can't shoot consistently and you can't run your offensive sets to to fit how the game is going, it felt like. I just didn't feel like BYU adjusted well in that game. Coaches, players, none of them adjusted well in that game. And I know that Mark Pope was upset with the officiating. He, he was very clear about that. Was If you were a leap, lip reader <laughs> watching that game, uh, he was letting them have it, but the biggest thing for BYU is they've got to shoot the ball consistently. But the other thing about this is when they when they decide to defend at a high level, that's when things really start to seem to open up for BYU. And that's essentially more of what we saw against San Diego on Saturday night. Now, BYU ran away with a 68-48 to blowout of the Toreros. Uh, the Toreros are far from the offensive threat that LMU is. I actually think that Cam Shelton, uh, one of the better offensive threats in all of the West Coast Conference, the point guard for LMU, uh, he could be starting at a number of programs at a higher level than LMU, but he was very, very good. Uh, Kelly Leal Pepe, I still struggle to say his last name all of these years he's been in the conference. He killed BYU, and he's six foot six, 240 pounds, just a mismatch nightmare for BYU. That's nothing of what uh, San Diego had, and BYU went to work early in this game. I think they were upset with their performance against LMU, as you might expect, and they got the ball to Fuseni Traore early. He ended up uh, scoring 15 points in this game. He had uh, Rudy Williams have a bounce back performance in his own right with 13 points. Atiki Ali Atiki set a career high uh, with a 4-6 shooting and 12 points. So the biggest thing for BYU against San Diego is it felt like they matched more of their game plan to what their opponent had. That's the one thing that San Diego seemed to not have was the, the ability to defend on the interior. When you have your two big men, speaking of Foos and Atiki, uh, go for 27 points. That's a good start for BYU because they didn't shoot the three ball well again in this game against San Diego. Just 26.7%, four of 15. They were two of 13 against LMU. So with a three point shooting, BYU cannot rely on shooting a bevy of three pointers and having them go down on a given night. If that is how BYU wants to operate their offense, well, guess what, folks? There's going to be more weekends like this where they're going to struggle in a game and look ugly doing it and maybe blow out a team the next night because their shooting is so inconsistent. 
The biggest thing for BYU is play to your strengths. What are their strengths? Going to the hole, rebounding, defending at a high level. Let's think about this with the San Diego game. BYU made life absolutely miserable for the Toreros. I believe it was, I think I saw it with 13.55 to go. It might have been 12.55 to go, but 13.55 to go is what I recall. BYU had held San Diego to just 26 points on the night. When BYU decides that they're going to get after on the defensive end of the court, they're actually a pretty darn good basketball team. But it seems like on certain nights, they don't have that same tenacity, that same energy, that same vigor to do that on a game-in and game-out basis. But that, if BYU wants to be anything this season, wants to do much, that's where they've kind of got to, I think, base themselves this year. This is not an offensive juggernaut BYU team. This is not the 2020 team where they could shoot 43s in a game, make 25 of them, and absolutely blow the doors off an opponent. That was a fun team. There's no doubt about that. This is a different type of basketball squad. And I'll, I'll maintain this as well. This year for BYU in the West Coast Conference, it's not about winning the West Coast Conference. It's not necessarily about making the NCAA tournament. That'd be fun stuff to do, obviously. And you have a chance to strike fear in the hearts of all of, all of your opponents by getting a big win over Gonzaga on Thursday night when they come to the Marriott Center for their final trip as a member of the WCC. You could obviously uh, really state claim that you're going to make a push for that with a win in that game. Am I expecting that? No, I am not. But the bigger thing for BYU this season is building themselves similar to the football program into a team that can compete in the Big 12. Football is going to be able to compete, speaking of BYU, football is going to be able to compete at a higher level than men's basketball is going to be right away in the Big 12. BYU is going into, bar none, the best college basketball conference in the country. The Big East can eat its heart out, but the Big 12 owns college basketball. It's got the best teams, the best coaches, the best talent, it feels like. It is the, the conference, top to bottom, that is the absolute toughest to play in. And guess what BYU you is going to be going up against that very thing uh, beginning next uh, next fall in 2023 this this fall 2023 they're up against it so investing time in guys like Dallin Hall uh Richie Saunders, making sure that Tanner Toulson is continuing to come along, Atiki Ali, Atiki Fuseni Traore, that has got to be the priority for BYU is helping them maximize their skill sets so that hopefully BYU doesn't go in and fall flat on their face as members of the Big 12. Yes, like I said, this run in the WCC, it could be a fun one if they really turn it on down the stretch, but it just feels like BYU is treading water in a way with basketball. I don't like the offensive sets at times, running for guys. Uh, When Noah Waterman, for some reason, is the guy getting an offensive set run from him, I'm like, what is going on here? Why are your best players not getting the ball consistently? That is what BYU's got to focus in on. And and that that goes to coaching. That goes to players understanding their roles on this team as well, because that's the other thing about this. Guys can think that they are a certain way, but they're they're meant to play in a certain other format. And that is where BYU's kind of got to balance these two things. So, I... Like I said, I struggle with college basketball, and the game against LMU was one I, I wish I could turn it off. I watch every minute of every BYU basketball game because it's part of my gig. I'm here to give you guys informed opinions on what I expect from the Cougars. The San Diego game, that was fun to watch BYU do what they do because they absolutely locked down the defensive end of the court and made life miserable for San Diego. Is LMU a better team than San Diego? No doubt. Uh, LMU has far better offensive options than, uh, than San Diego does, but BYU felt like they were more engaged and understood their game plan in a way just, uh, what, 48 hours after playing LMU against San Diego than they did in uh, almost a full week's preparation going into LMU game. So I don't know. Have I, I, 
I don't come off hopefully as a guy who's uh, is too down on BYU basketball. But the biggest thing for BYU basketball right now is lock down on the defensive end of the court, rebound at a high level, and get your chances with second chance points. Go to the hole, score at the rim. That's what BYU's got to focus in on because the three point shooting for this team it ain't there and it hasn't been there all season long. So to continue to think that that is going to come along at this point in the season seems like a foolhardy option. So just do what you do. Be who you are. That's the thing about BYU basketball. They they should know who they are at this point. But in some ways, it feels like they're still trying to, no, we're, we're, we're this team. No, you're not. Play the way that you're supposed to play. I don't know. I it's, a, it's such a weird, weird thing to watch BYU basketball because at times you're like, okay, this could be a fairly competitive team if they were just to buy into what they're good at here. But it seems at times they try and uh, do the square peg round hole method and say, no, we're an elite three-point shooting team. No, you ain't. Just, just buy into what you are. Go to the hole, uh, play at the rim rebound the basketball, and play good defense, and that'll take you a fairly long way. Is, is it going to take you to the level that BYU fans aspire to be? Probably not, but it can make you a far more competitive team, and it, it help you lo- avoid losing some of the games like that clunker against LMU. All right, I'll finish up today's show with some final thoughts. Uh, obviously, BYU men's volleyball opened their season in a very good fashion, actually, compared to last season. We'll get to all that as we round out today's podcast. First, a word on our friends over at Bet Online, And, of course, Bet Online is your number one source for all of your sports betting information, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from pro football to the national championship tonight in college football, basketball, NBA, and college hoop, and also anything else out there in the world of sports, whether you're into tiddlywinks, Links, cricket. I don't know what you're into. Bet Online's got it for you guys. They've got it all at Bet Online. If you love sports podcasts as well, you can even find those on Bet Online, their website as well. They are the fastest and the easiest way to get your sports sports betting information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more now. That's Bet Online, where the game starts. Also brought to you today by our friends over at UCCU. UCCU is offering a 15 months saving certificate with an incredibly high APY of 4.00%. The best part about this, my friends is that it gives you the opportunity to jump up that rate at any point during the 15-month period if interest rates and inflation continue to rise. All of us are dealing with all the issues with regards to those high interest rates and inflation that we're all dealing with. We want nothing more than to get a a bigger return on our money. Trust me, I'm I'm all about that. That's where UCCU is stepping in with these savings certificates. That 4.00% APY return on the savings certificate, incredibly high and far higher than any standards checking account, your savings account, whatever you got your money sitting in right now. I encourage you guys to give a look at these savings certificates from UCCU. So once again, it's a 15-month savings certificate with an incredibly high APY of 4.00%. The best part is at any point during that 15 months, if the yields continue to rise, you can jump up that rate and get a better yield a return on your money from our friends at UCCU. Getting started with this, very, very simple. Just stop into any UCCU branch, wherever you happen to live along the Wasatch Front. Give them a call or go online, uccu.com. Really simple to use. I can attest to this. I've been banking with UCCU my entire life. They're a phenomenal financial institution. So if you have an interest in this, get on it because it's only available for a limited time. So once again, that's uccu.com to learn more now and get started on that savings certificate today. That's UCCU. Love 
where you bank. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. And uh, it may have looked like a little bit of a blip there if you're watching this on YouTube, but I actually had the final uh, stanza of the podcast when I went to go edit it. Uh, the audio got garbled, so I figured, you know what? What I'll do is I'll actually go back and re-record the final stanza and make sure you guys uh, can understand what I'm talking about. So uh, a couple of things to touch on before, actually three things we need to touch on before we go here. Uh, we'll start off with our look back at BYU's era of independence. We've gone through five of their games so far of the 2011 season. Now, game six of the 2011 season was the first game that Riley Nelson was going to start for BYU. Of course, Jake Heaps famously had been benched in that comeback win as they beat Utah State. We talked about that on the Friday edition of the podcast. Well, BYU had their first visit from San Jose State in decades coming into Lavelle Edwards Stadium. And San Jose State was part of the group of WAC teams that BYU, when they announced they were going independent, they announced that they were going to play uh, these WAC teams for the first two and three years in certain circumstances of their independent era. Home and home in certain circumstances. In this case, it was a home and home with San Jose State. But the first game was going to be in Provo against the Spartans. And it was Riley Nelson's first start at quarterback for BYU. And he started things off very, very nicely, all things considered. Now, he did have two interceptions in this game as compared to three touchdowns. Ended up with 219 yards passing. 170 of those coming in the first half. And BYU, uh, for all intents and purposes, I remember watching this game, they controlled it even though at at halftime, it felt like in some ways that uh, BYU may have been uh, wobbling a little bit because of the turnovers. But they were never in any danger of this game. BYU ends up winning it 29-16 over a San Jose State team that in many ways was trying to rebuild itself. Mike McIntyre was their head coach and we all knew what he did ultimately with San Jose State and we'll talk uh, in just uh, I think a couple of weeks about what they did in the 2011, excuse me, the 2012 season. Uh, some revenge coming for San Jose State for those of you that recall, but this was the first start for Riley Nelson, and uh, he did nothing to lose the job, obviously, as he continued to be BYU starting quarterback. You don't make that shift mid-season without saying, okay, you're our guy, and we're going to ride you the rest of the way as much as possible, but it was a, a nice performance for BYU, all things considered. Once again, uh, Nelson uh, finished with 218 yards passing, also rushed for 65 yards on nine carries in this game. Michael Elisa began to really emerge as a running back as well for BYU after having just no option, it felt like, running the football. Michael Lisa ended up running for 92 yards in this game for BYU as they improved to 4-2 and two on the season. And BYU, after what had been an early stumble, after losing at Texas and a heartbreaker in that 54-10 to 10 debacle, losing to Utah, well, three straight wins for BYU suddenly was like, okay, life's a little bit better here for the Cougars and things seem to be rolling a little bit. And I've had a number of you actually reach out uh, when I've been posting some of this stuff with regard to a look back at the saying that the 2011 season for BYU, and we'll talk more about this when we finish it out, was actually a very underrated first season of independence for BYU. One of their better records throughout the independent era against a fairly solid schedule. And if you look, at the, really the only major hiccup, and I say major hiccup because it was just an absolutely abysmal loss, was the loss to Utah. And I know that some Cougar fans out there will say that there's no chance BYU can have a successful season in reality without beating Utah. Maybe that's your philosophy but when you end up 10-3 and three, as they did in this season, it's a pretty good year. And we'll talk more about this, but that San Jose State game 
As far as uh, debuts as a starting quarterback go, yeah, the first half was not so great for Riley Nelson, but it was a solid, albeit unspectacular, performance for him and the Cougars. But that's all you needed. You needed to win the game. Now we'll talk about a major matchup, uh, one of the, maybe the win of the year for BYU in some ways uh, on tomorrow's show as they beat uh, Oregon State, and that was a very impressive one. And we'll get to that once again on tomorrow's podcast. But when you're at four and two halfway through a season, you're okay. We got to win two more games to get the bowl eligibility. What are the possibilities? What can BYU accomplish? And obviously, that 2011 season was a good one for the Cougars. All right, final two notes before we go here is congratulations to the BYU women's basketball who won their fourth straight game, uh, beating the San Diego Toreros at the Marriott Center, 63-49 uh, to 49 on Saturday afternoon. The most important thing you need to know about this game is Lauren Gustin continues to just be an absolute star for the women's basketball program. She had 21 points, but more importantly, tied a 45-year-old record. Uh, Tina Gunn-Robison, some of you probably have seen her jersey hanging in the Rafters at the Marriott Center, one of the greatest women's basketball players in BYU uh, basketball history. She had set a record back on February 11th, 1978 with 24 rebounds in a win over Wyoming. Well, what did uh, Lauren Gustin do? With those 21 points, she added 24 rebounds to match Tina Gunn Robinson's at Marriott Center record for those 24 rebounds. Phenomenal. Phenomenal performance for her. She continues to be a double-double machine. I think she should get more love nationally as an All-American, etc. And we'll see if that ultimately comes but the women's basketball team, they're really uh, performing quite well. Once again, they've won four straight games. They're 2-0 and uh, to be in West Coast Conference play. And uh, suddenly, uh, things that looked a little dreary early on the season for women's basketball aren't quite as bad. Now, the final note I got for you guys is that BYU men's volleyball started their season in pretty good fashion, winning uh, both of their matches in their tournament they hosted over the weekend at the Smith Fieldhouse. Uh, BYU beat McKendry three sets to none in a clean sweep on Friday night before beating number 14 ranked Lewis 3-1 Saturday night uh, to improve to 2-0. Cupono Brown and Mix Romanis, kind of the two stars in that win over Lewis. Uh, Brown hit uh, recorded 16 kills, hitting 522 in the win, so very, very good to see that. He's a junior from Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, the nice thing about BYU men's volleyball is they had a very down rebuilding year last year, and it seems like at least through two matches this year, some of that magic they've had for many, many years at the Smith Fieldhouse might be back. And if you want to watch a high-level sport that is a really a fun time, go out and watch men's volleyball. They're off uh, this coming weekend, but they will be back in action against Fairleigh Dickinson in a home and home, not a home and home set, they're a back to back set at the Smith Field House on January 20th and the 21st. But if you can manage it, arrange your schedule. The men's volleyball uh, sport itself, it's really, really fun stuff. Fast paced, high level execution, and just a fun, fun product out there. So I'd encourage you guys to check that out. All right. Now for the second time, I'm done with today's show. So big thank you once again for making us your second listen of the day. Hope you guys are all doing fantastic out there wherever you might be in Cougar Nation. Thanks again for making us your first listen. Go make your second listen our friends over at the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Get yourself ready for the national championship game tonight as TCU looks to put together just that magical season and finish it off with a national title against the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, They're of course getting you ready on Locked On Big 12. So make that your second listen. Get it free and available wherever you get your podcasts. It's also available on YouTube. So once again for myself for the second time, you're not going to see the first one, but regardless, hope you guys are all doing fantastic. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast. See ya.